Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. Each week, we'll bring you the teaching from our central campus. We hope it's an encouragement to you. Thanks for listening. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Last year, the American Psychological Association ranked money as the highest stressor in the United States. Not a surprise. We feel it. You feel it. We all feel it. The rising costs of rent or the soaring interest rates, uncertainty in the economy. It feels like it's been going on for so long. It plays like this background noise that we don't even realize, but we're living with this ambient anxiety that's hanging around there, even if we can't quite put our finger on it. Recently, our family had a little bit of a wait what moment with finances, we didn't realize that our winter utilities bill and our car tabs bill were gonna collide in the same month. Been there, we're there. Money trouble is, and maybe you know this, the second leading cause of divorce. It has this unique ability to sever extended families. Maybe you've had a wait what moment with finances recently. Well, we're talking about money today, if you haven't noticed already, and um, I just want to clear the air on three things. First thing is that this is not the talk where we talk about giving financially to anchors, so you can relax, take a breath. This is not the tithe teaching. Loosen up those shoulders. I'm looking for spouses that are elbowing each other. Second, and this is serious, if you are currently in an emergent financial situation, we don't want you to hear this message without hearing practical, real-time offer for help. So if you are, just email moneytrouble to anchorcares at anchortacoma.org. And we'll figure out how we can best serve you, whether that's helping with an emergent financial issue or partnering you with a financial guide that can offer a pathway forward. If you forgot that email address or you didn't write it down, meet me in the lobby. I'll be, I'll be able to offer that to you. Third thing is total self-disclosure. You guys ready? I am not a financial expert. I'm like pretty average with regards to finances, like in home finances. And by pretty average, I'm like C minus maybe. <laughs> I remember when I got a C on a math class in, uh, in high school and, and my my mom said, C is really not average anymore. And I'm like, I, they, I feel like it still is. <laughs> I'm average. 
So this is not Brian with his financial wisdom depositing it to you so that you can learn from all that I know. This is us looking at one of the seminal teachings of Jesus and drawing out from his teaching something for all of us, myself included. We'll find that as we look in close detail, the passage that I already read, Jesus essentially asks us three different questions. And these questions are questions that every one of us has to answer. No one's excused from them. You don't have to even be a Jesus follower. You may not even believe in God, but you will answer these questions with your life. The first question is this, what will you store up? What will you store up? Jesus, at the beginning of the passage that I read, he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, the word store up in the Greek, I think might be better translated as hoard, hoard. I like that translation because hoard is connected to a heart disposition. Store up is heart neutral. Hoard is connected towards a disposition where I'm not just gaining and I'm not just accumulating, but I, am, I love gaining and I love accumulating. And if you try to take it away from me, my knuckles get really white. That's what it means to hoard. And Jesus says, do not hoard up for yourselves money treasures on earth. It is this miserly overguardedness. I can think of myself like when I was growing up playing Monopoly. My brother, I knew he was going to try to steal some of my money, so I'm like, mm, walls. And Jesus says that uh, like we're to not store up Anyone who's wise doesn't store up for themselves treasures on earth, doesn't hoard treasures on earth for two reasons. It gets incredibly practical. The first is like everything that we accumulate, and this is just real talk, is subject to potential loss. If you're looking at your portfolio, maybe you're taking note of that. Everything that we accumulate is subject to potential loss. Jesus uses the description of whether vermin and moths and people that break in and steal. Like he uses these as examples, but he doesn't want us to limit those things to like the extent of the potential for loss. Everything in this world is, you know, there's this potential. I'm watching this show on Netflix, Candace and I, it's called Kaleidoscope. Anybody in here? Yeah, okay, two, maybe three, okay. Try it out, yeah, try it out. <laughs> Give it two episodes, you know. The, the whole plot is there's this impenetrable vault that the richest people in the world have placed their money in. And you can see where this is going already. But there's this, like, team of, like, experts that know how to break in and the whole thing is if they will, will they get caught? And of course, we know they will and they'll get away, but it'll be close because we've seen those movies before. Hashtag oceans. <laughs> the point is, is that like, no matter how much you protect a thing, there is always in this world the risk that it will not be completely safe. 
And so Jesus is recognizing that. And what he's saying is, is like when you hoard up accumulation, you actually put your sense of identity, your sense of worth, your sense of who you are in that thing. And when that thing is taken away, if you've hoarded that, all of a sudden it will feel like your identity is taken away. So Jesus says, don't do that. The second reason he says, don't hoard up for yourself treasures in heaven is that you can't take it with you. Now, we've done a really good job in our cultural moment of uh, thinking that this is all there is. And so we do a really good job of trying to live as if this is all there is. Jesus wants to expand our vision of reality. He wants us to remember that everybody here has an expiration date. I don't know if you guys have looked at the stats on death recently. It's crazy. 100% of people die. <laughs> Like, it's ridiculous. And Jesus says this very obvious point is that we can't take it with us. The thing is, if this, all, if this was all there was, then you might as well hoard wealth. Because, you know, I mean, this is all there is. So hoard it up. Get it, accumulate it. If this is all there is, just keep on stacking and, and, and hold fast to it and maybe don't even give it to anyone else because this is all there is. He who gets the most toys wins. And maybe you just uh, pass it on to some people after you pass, you know, that you want to give it to and that's all there is and it doesn't matter about anything else. But the thing is, is that Jesus goes on to say, this is not all there is. So we have to be aware of that. Verse 20, he says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. On my iPhone, I have uh, um, uh, the ability, and I know you're aware of this, um, iPhone users, Android users, I don't know. I, I haven't used one in a while. So uh, where you can open the camera up and you can expand the ability to take in the room. You can do like, Shrink it to 0.5 so it just like opens up and takes in like, how did it get over? It's seeing that thing. And then you can shrink it so it's really hyper-focused on one particular thing. What Jesus is saying here, he's calling us to live with an expansive view, to open up into a panorama view of reality. To open up our sense of what abundance even is. Is it strictly monetary wealth or is it relationships? Is it health? Is it rest? Is it how we use our energy? Is it our schedule? Is it our time? Open up for once our, our panoramic view into, well, into what abundance is and open up again our view on reality to encompass not just the 70 to 100 years that we have, but the eternity thereafter. And it's interesting, Jesus says... When we open up that view our, from the narrow to the panoramic view, we have an accurate view of reality. And the thing he says is, he says, we should try to store up that type of wealth. He calls it heavenly treasure or treasure in heaven. And he's very practical. 
He's like, this is actually not just kind of like some pie in the sky, theological, spiritual, you know, ethereal kind of truth, but it actually is very practical. It's practical because only that type of treasure is not subject to loss. In fact, Peter, writing some churches in Asia Minor in the first century, he says that our inheritance is kept in heaven for us. It is guarded in the unbreakable vault of God's presence. There is no team of experts that can break in and steal it. It's kept in heaven for you. You only take note of it when you open into that panoramic view, but if you do, you realize that our brief life is very brief and eternity is very long and there is something, there's treasure we can stack up there that will be waiting for us. Second is you can take it with you. You know, it's interesting, uh, the word store up in verse 19 is the same word in verse 20. So Jesus is saying, do not hoard treasures on earth, but hoard treasures in heaven. Jesus wants you to hoard treasures in heaven. One of the people that has the mo- had, had the most redemptive impact on my life is a man named Don Lewis. He's a mentor of mine. And I've shared about him in this space before. So if you've heard, please just forgive me. I'm 40 years old. I only have a certain amount of stories. I remember, uh, you know, I, he was a church history professor of mine when I was working on my master's degree. And um, I uh, didn't really actually engage with him much when he was my professor. But after moving away, I saw him pop up on the suggested friends. And I hit, uh, asked to be friends, that vulnerable moment where you don't know what response there'll be. I don't know if that exists anymore because of Facebook kind of slipping back into the... He accepted and then wrote a message. Somehow he remembered that I was a pastor. Uh, He said, how's that going? He probably caught me at a low moment and I kind of word vomited all over Facebook Messenger. Don't worry, it was before Anchor, so I've never had any problems here. (laughs) Pandemic was a breeze. Um, He responded again and it began this friendship. Uh, he visited me multiple times, which is weird. He's got a PhD from Oxford. He's written multiple books. And here he is, he's driving from Vancouver, BC to Ellensburg, Washington. And we don't have enough room in our house. And so he stays in a hotel on his own dime, takes me out to lunch and out, takes me out to dinner just to like be a friend. Honestly, I was a little like weirded out at first. <laughs> this is a man that's just being generous. I remember praying with him. He always wanted to uh, do video chats over Skype. And I was like, Don, I think you're the only one that ever uses, that uses Skype anymore. There's a whole bunch of different options out there. And he'd pray for me at the end of our time talking. And he'd always pray, God, I'm so thankful for this awesome man that I get to be friends with. Which is always weird because it was like so much evidence to the contrary, you know? I usually got done talking about all the things that like are in my head that are weird thoughts or all the struggles I have. And, and at the end of this time, he's praying, God, I'm thankful for this awesome man. And my, my, my brain would be like, one, you know, I, I, I don't, I, like, is he, did he, was he not listening? Was he playing a game over here while I was sharing how messed up my life was? Remember, he came to visit me here in Tacoma. He 
uh, was flying out of SeaTac, and he just said, hey, I, are you free for lunch? I'll take the train down. And, and I actually had to leave before he had to leave. I, my, you know, I got to go do something else. And he, he was perfectly fine with that. He took all this initiative and I cut the time short and he wasn't frustrated or angry. He was just happy to be with me. I can trace back my journey of actually feeling like I inhabited the role as pastor to that friendship. I was officially a pastor on a church website before that, but I became a pastor through that friendship. He died just over a year ago. Sudden death, but that's not the point. My friend and I, who was also mentored by Don, went up to visit him, or to, to the memorial service. And um, there were all these young men uh, that were invited to speak that came and shared stories that were incredibly similar to mine. And two things happened in my head. One, I was like, I guess I'm not that special. <laughs> Second, um, I realized that this was Don's mission. Once somebody said when he, his kids graduated from high school and went off to pursue their various interests, left the house, he made a conscious decision to not try to publish as much, but to pour out his life into young men pursuing pastoral ministry or those already in pastoral ministry. And so multiple, multiple young men like me said, at first it was a little awkward because he like, was like so kind and I'd never experienced an older man that was just like kind and generous. But then I realized it's just because he was kind and generous with his finances, with his words, with his time. Somebody at the memorial service said, it was like a scandal in reverse. You know, when somebody dies and all of a sudden all the dirt comes out about them and we can't like them anymore because of all the dirt that came out about them and uh, we're used to that, but this was a scandal in reverse. After he died, everybody stood up and said, yeah, me too. I was impacted and I knew how to become a dad because of that relationship. I became a pastor. I became a husband in a way that I wasn't because of that friendship. What was he doing? Don was hoarding heavenly treasure. He was stacking up heavenly treasure. And here's the cool thing. He has the vision to enjoy it and understand it in a way that he didn't while he was here. He took it with him and it gained interest. And he's visiting and seeing and, and able to, as he's with the Lord, taking note of the treasure that he hoarded, that has no ability to be taken from him and is right with him right now. I just kind of have this thought. What if we made this like decision as an anchor community? Those of us that are finding a home here, those of us that this is our home, what if we made this decision? I'm going to hoard heavenly treasure. I'm not going to put my white knuckles around the financial monetary stuff. That comes, it accumulates, great, fantastic. That's awesome, nothing bad with it, but I'm not going to tether my identity to that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to fight, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to use my energy to stack heavenly treasure where no moth or vermin is going to destroy it and where I will take it with me and enjoy it 
with the Lord. Second question is, uh, what will you see? First was, what will you store up? Second is, what will you see? What will you see? You might even put in there, what do you see? I don't know about you, but like um, I've been in multiple situations where I'm looking at the same thing as my wife and we see completely different things. Yep. <laughs> Sometimes it makes an impact where multiple conversations have to happen after that. Put an introvert and an extrovert next to each other, they look at a party and they see completely different things. <laughs> One, let's go. One, I don't want to go. Well, Jesus is kind of, with this next passage, he's talking about what do you see in your life right now? Like, like what comes into your view? He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? The Greek word for healthy is actually generous. So what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, like, when you look at the world, do your eyes see abundance? Or unhealthy, meaning the absence of generosity, do your eyes see little always? Have you trained yourself to align yourself with Jesus so that, so that Wealth is not just finances and, and our life it is not just there is. So it opens up into this panoramic view where you can see abundance all around or have you shrunken and overly focused and fixated to the point where you only can see this moment and how much there isn't. The classic story in the Gospels of this is like the sort of feeding the 5,000 where Jesus is teaching all day and he just keeps on talking. And the disciples are like, uh, wrap it up. There's not a Taco Bell or a 7-Eleven. There's not even, there's nothing, you know, close by. And so we got to send these people because they're going to be asking for food. And we don't, we have two loaves and three fish or three fish and two loaves. I can't really remember right now. <laughs> and, and Jesus is like, we'll feed them. And they're like, this amount of food, they're hung and saying the same thing. And Jesus is like, let's feed them. She has two th situations here, two visions of what is in front of them. One sees limitation and problem. The other sees a need and a generous God. When we wide angle lens out, like limitations don't, all, don't win. In fact, limitations, when you open up a little bit, they become opportunities. What do you see? Maybe it's like, what are you seeing? As I asked, what are you seeing right now? Are you fixating on what isn't in your bank account? What car isn't in your driveway? How small your apartment or your house is? Or have you opened up into thankfulness and to counting the things that are there and thanking God for the things that are present already. That's not to dismiss real needs and desires to improve. That's not to belittle that or dismiss that. It's, not to, it's just not to focus on that as the determinant for how my life is. 
When you open into the wide-angle lens, you see marks of God's abundance all around you. And the limitations of the fixated, overly focused thing do not determine identity, worth, or how your life is going. Jesus goes on, he says, two promises. There's, these are two promises. So, like, when Jesus gives you a promise, you got to take note of it. So, you guys, you got to do it. First is, if you see with this abundance perspective that is connected to the wide-angle lens of reality, if you live with that wide-angle lens of reality, Jesus promises that you will be full of light. As he, he says, like, your whole body will be full of light, which is weird. It's like that my body's full of, like, intestines and a heart and two couple lungs, you know, muscles, lots of muscles for me. Um, <laughs> like, what did Jesus, what do you mean? Jesus means, like, you're waking Breathing, sleeping, eating, sleeping, like life of working, all that. He says, your life will, 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 light will emit out of you if you live with this abundance, wide angle vision of reality. You know, light does two things. It, it brings heat and it illuminates. So you by living in alignment with the way of Jesus with regards to wealth and with regards to treasure, you, by just being you in the world, will shoot light out. You'll shoot light out and you'll bring warmth to cold people. You'll bring light to darkness just by being you, living in alignment with God. But there's another promise. is that if you live with that fixated overly focused on how much you have or don't have in a given moment of time, missing the eternal capacity, missing all the big picture of what really abundance is all about. If you get really focused on what you have or you don't have, which usually is connected to feeling better about yourself than other people and looking down on other people or thinking lower of yourself because you're connecting your financial earthly treasure to your worth, if that's where you land, Jesus' promise is that you'll be full of darkness. And Jesus even says, how great will that darkness be? When Charles Dickens describes Scrooge in The Christmas Carol, he, uses, he says this, Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone, Scrooge. A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Hard and sharp as flint, from which no steel ever had struck out a generous fire. Secret and self-contained, solitary as an oyster. The cold within him froze his old features, nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheeks, stiffened his gait, made his eyes red, his thin lips blue, and spoke out shrewdly in his grating voice. A frosty rhyme was on his head, and on his eyebrows and his wiry chin, he carried his own low temperature always about with him. He iced his office in the dog days and didn't thought one degree at Christmas." In a way, it's hard to relate to Scrooge because we're like, oh, well, I'm not him. But that's not the point. Scrooge didn't just step onto the scene as Scrooge. Scrooge became Scrooge through fixating on how much he had or didn't have day in and day out to the point where there was only darkness inside. And as you know the story, it took a miracle to get him out of that darkness. 
The lesson is, is that we become Scrooge if we dwell in that darkness. But if we zoom out, take note of the abundance all around, people can't dismiss the light within us. Next question Jesus asks us is, who will you serve? You've heard the options. What will you store up? What will you see? So the options there, like in front of us, every one of us has to answer this question. And we do, regardless of whether we believe in God or not, is who will you serve? There are no double agents in the kingdom of God. It's a binary option. You either serve God or you serve money or something else. But those are the options. And it's important to know, like, again, Jesus just being practical and pragmatic, he doesn't want bad things for you. So he's recommending you serve God because money is a cruel master. I've alluded to this already, but like when money is your master, your possessions possess you. And if you're doing really good, Financially, if, you have, if you're stacking bills, stacks on stacks on stacks, then it's tempting, in fact, impossible not to become arrogant. And everybody else that isn't like you is a sluggard or a slacker. Because look what you did. And conversely, if you're not stacking stacks on stacks on stacks, you have no self-worth at all because money is your master. It determines your worth. And if you don't have, then you are nothing. Now, when God is your master, you play by a different set of rules. You know that your self-worth is not determined by what is or isn't in your bank account. So you know that at the core of who you are, irregardless of what financial number can be connected to you and what your net worth is, irregardless of that, you are of great value. You are loved. Jesus saw fit to, to, to pay the ultimate price so that you might be recipients of the ultimate gift. His love for you he sought fit to, to send his spirit into your life so that you might not be just kind of like reconciled with God and good, but actually empowered to live a life of following Jesus, growing in the likeness of Jesus so that the world may see more of Jesus. When God is your master, you walk in freedom, not bondage. You learn uh, hope, not, not the absence of it. You are free to live irregardless of what the numbers are that are connected to your name. One of the, the most well-known passages in this section is where Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I don't know if anything I've said today is like challenging or like touches a nerve. I'm, I don't know if it does or not, but I, I do know that it, for many of us, like this money's like super sensitive. It's a stressor like we talked about. How do we move forward? 
How do we move forward to so that we're in deeper alignment with Jesus, so that we're storing up treasures in heaven, so that we're not looking like Scrooge, but we're looking like the opposite? We're, how, do, how do we do this? Well, here's how we do it. It begins with this. Are you guys ready? We have to realize that when Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, we have to look at Jesus to see where his treasure is and where his heart is. And when you look at Jesus as an example for where his treasure is and where, your, where his heart is, what we see is, is that you are his treasure and his heart is set on you. When you understand that, that you are God's treasure, that he cherishes you, that he counts up your your, the stories of miracles in your life, like someone cravenly stacking and counting their money. That he surveys you and checks in on you on somebody overly fixated on their stock portfolio. When you, when you know that you are his treasure, you have this freedom to not connect your worth purely to finances. When you know that, when that penny drops, so to speak, you can actually have the ability to give, not begrudgingly out of kind of some shame-based religiosity, but out of true generosity. Why? Because he first gave. Invite the worship team up, the band up. Every week we do communion here. Um, Invite prayer team up. So there's a couple things I just want to share uh, the first is, is that prayer is always available. There's prayer stations right where those black walls are. And every week I've committed to going up for prayer because um, even if I don't need, quite know what I need prayer for, I know there's a prayer need that I have. I invite you to come with me. There's also communion, and communion is really like the tangible, touchable, tasteable way to be reminded of the love of God. Because when you come up for communion, you'll hear Christ's body given for you. Christ's blood shed for you. Great cost for us so that we might be reminded that we are his treasure. And the third thing is we're gonna sing another song and you're invited to come forward for communion when you're ready. Come for prayer uh, as you desire. But now as you're able, I'd invite you to stand. And as you stand, you might take a breath. You might just kind of inquire of the spirit. God, what are you, want to, you, what are you wanting to say to me right now? And maybe for some of us, it's like, God, are you there? So we'd invite you to just, God, are you there? Maybe that's your prayer. For some of us, it's like, God, I need help. Give me direction. We'd invite you to pray that prayer. But as we all stand, as we all take a breath, as we all center ourselves, I wanna pray over us all. So. If you would, you can extend a hand if you like, you can close your eyes if you like, but Spirit of the living God, would you touch down in this place? There is work that you wanna do and we don't wanna be in the way, so Spirit of the living God, would you touch down in this place? Come and, and, and into our doubt, come into our, 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 our brokenness, come into our desire for more of you, would you come? Holy Spirit, come.